they are appreciating what the Lord is speaking to us about. Well, that's encouraging. How many are excited about what the Lord has been talking to us about? Amen. Amen. Somebody say the heart of worship. God bless you. You may be seated. Without recapping everything that God has been talking to us about concerning this subject of worship, we simply need to know that our worship is not what we do with our hands. It's not what we do with our feet. It's not what we do with our mouths. Worship is all about what we've already done with our hearts. The heart of worship. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart, somebody say their heart, their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me. Heart here is speaking of our true man. Speaking of the essence of who we really are, how we really feel, how we really think, what we truly value. It's the real us. I mean, we can put on a facade, but this is not, the heart is, it's talking about the genuine us. And so we see that true worshipers, true worship first begins with an individual's completely sincere and heartfelt willingness and desire to honestly and completely and totally value God as being first in their lives. That's what worship is. That's worship. Valuing Him, the worth, worth-ship, valuing Him giving him, ascribing to him the greatest worth in your life above everything else, far above everything else, that he alone sits on the throne of your life. Somebody said amen. That's worship. True worship is found only in those that have made the decision, again, to ascribe the greatest worth to God and to God alone. And again, that's not shown by the clapping of our hands. We know clapping of the hands is absolutely biblical, and we've already done it tonight. But worship is not the clapping of our hands or the dancing of our feet or the singing of our voice. For true worship can only flow from a heart that has put God and God alone on the throne of rulership over their life. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. So we've got to get this. We will serve whoever or whatever we have established as being first in our lives. And we will in turn worship whatever or whoever is first. Am I right about it? That's why the book would say this in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 16. Take heed to yourself that your heart, somebody say your heart. Be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 17. But if thine heart 
turn away so that thou wilt not hear but shall be drawn away and worship other gods. And you're going to serve those. I simply want you to notice from these two verses of Scripture that our hearts are intricately tied to our worship. The heart of worship. If our hearts have esteemed the Lord as first in our lives, then our worship towards Him will be pure and it will be genuine and it will be true. But if our hearts have not allowed Him to be first in our lives, then our worship, as far as clapping and singing and shouting and dancing and jumping, is going to be in vain. And the, it, ha, it will hold within it no value and zero regard in the eyes of God. We can jump all we want. It won't mean nothing to the Lord. We can sing great better than anybody's ever sung before, and it will have zero significance in the heavenlies because that is not worship. Worship is what is the heart look like. Has the heart established God as being first? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. That's why somebody who's established God as first <laughs> that can't sing to save their lives and God Almighty says, that gives me great joy. It's, we're covering our ears. <laughs> Joyful noise. It's just a noise. Yeah. And we're covering our ears, and God is getting glory from it. Why? Because it's not, because what they're doing was made to be worship, not because of what they're doing or what it sounds like, but because of the matter of their heart. Because they have established him as being first. The Lord says, I get great joy from that. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. So we have to understand. So this, it, 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 is, it is this matter of establishing God as being first and foremost in our lives that that's worship. And it's not what we say. This is very important. It's not what we say that proves that God is first in our lives but rather it is what we do that proves that God is first in our lives. Because how many know it's a whole lot easier to say God is first than to actually live out God being first in our lives? For if God is truly first, then that's going to show up in how we live. It's going to show up in how we think. Come on, somebody. It's going to show up in how we act going to show up in how we dress. It's going to show up in what we do and where we go and where we don't go. If God is truly first, then he dictates the steps of a righteous individual or ordered of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And so if he is ordering my steps, then I only go where he says go and I only do what he says do. So it's not about what I say, it's about my actions that determine if I'm a worshiper. If God is first in my life, then that will be made manifest by what we do with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Come on, somebody. It's all about worship. It's all about worship. If God is truly first in our lives, then he will be our greatest passion. And he will be our greatest Pursuit. 
I'm not trying to offend anybody, but if the only time we think about God is at 10.30 on Sundays and 7.30 on Thursdays, it's just highly probable that he's not first in our lives. If we can go days and not think about him, he's probably not first because whatever is first in our lives, we're going to think about it. We're going to contemplate it. We're going to pursue it. It's going to be what we do and who we are. Oh, hallelujah. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. If he is first in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. If God is truly first, then we will strive to grow in our relationship with him. Oh, hallelujah. We'll strive. He's first. I want to know him. I want to know him. If we can go months and months and months without praying except for when we come to the house of the Lord, that shows us that God is not first in our lives. If God is, if God is first, then we'll have a hunger to know what his word says. And it won't just be something we leave in the car and pull out when we walk into the auditorium on Sundays. We're going to have a hunger for what he says to us. We're going to have a hunger for his word. We're going to want to read it and know it and love it and study it. Why? Because he's first. Oh, hallelujah. If God is truly first, we're going to have a passion to do his work. Oh, hallelujah. We can't say, we can't say that God is first in my life and I'm not concerned about the work of the Lord. We're going to have a passion for the work of the Lord. We're going to want to do what he's called us to do. If God is truly first, we'll have no issues with the sacrifices that he asks us to make. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying, you know, it's going to be a comfortable thing. But when he who is first asks us to do it, we submit to the ruler of our life. Oh, hallelujah. We submit to the ruler of our life. See, the issue that you and I have to come to grips with and get revelation of is, is, is not what putting God first looks like to us. I need your minds a little bit here. It's not what putting God first looks like to us. But what does putting God first look like to God? That's what we have to figure out. For the disconnect that a lot of believers have is that we have created our own definition for what it looks like to put God first. We've got our own definition. This is what it looks like to put God first. And as long as we are accomplishing, fulfilling our definition, then we feel as if that is all that is required from us and that we have truly put him first simply because we have attained our definition of putting him first. And many times, many times that looks like us doing something more for God than what other people do. And from that we get this sense of belief that we're putting God first. Well, how do you know you're putting God first? Because I do more than what they do. 
and I'm, I'm making greater sacrifices than what they've made. And I'm living at a higher standard of righteousness or separation than what those people are doing. And I go to church more than what they go to church. And I pray more, I read my, whatever. And we compare it to others. And because we're doing more for God than what other people are doing, then we have met our definition for what putting God first looks like. The book would speak to that when it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. <laughs> I'm trying to get back to my back, but I'm not as flexible <laughs> as I used to be. Pat myself on the back, commend myself for how I have put God first. Why? But they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. So what he's saying is when we compare ourselves to other people and then base our comparison upon them to determine our definition for us putting God first, he says that is not wise at all. Don't do that. Don't count yourself among those people who do that. Church, we cannot have a definition of putting God first that is based upon what we do in comparison to what others do, to what others say, to other people's, you know, their level of holiness or separation or whatever it is. Commitment. We cannot compare it's not about what we have defined. Because just because we might think that we're putting God first, that doesn't mean that that's actually true. It doesn't mean it's actually true. It just means we think it's true. And now we're in a little bit of trouble here because we're living a life that believes that it has put God first when in reality our definition was our definition and not God's definition. And according to God's definition, we might not be putting him first at all. And be, but because we think we do, then therefore we think we are worshiping. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. So let me show you what the book says. For we find in the Old Testament that God, through the man of God by the name of Samuel, spoke to the king whose name was Saul. And he speaks these words, the Lord speaking to Saul. And he says this, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3. He says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Somebody say that means everything. Spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tulane, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. So here's what I want you to see. So God speaks to Saul and he says, I want you to go to the Amalekites and I want you to kill everybody and I want you to kill all their animals. And so immediately, because obviously these were bad people, these were the enemies of God. 
So immediately after getting this command from the Lord, somebody say immediately. Saul says, yes, sir. And he gets the armies together. And he gathers them all up. And he heads off to accomplish what God told him. Then we read this, 1 Samuel 15 and 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore, that it is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed everybody else with the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and they spared the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, of the fatlings and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them all, but everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed all those things completely and totally. So here we see that they kill every bit of the enemy except the king. And they kill every unclean animal but leave the best of the animals alive. And I want you to see God's reaction to that. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Somebody say rebellion. That's what he's saying. He said, I, I, I regret, I repent that I ever put him in as king because he has rebelled against me. So Samuel gets up a meeting with Saul. He's like, God told me this and I got to tell Saul how God thinks about all this and how God views everything that Saul had done. But I want you to see what Saul's thought process was. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 13. So they got this meeting set up, and the Bible says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He was so excited, Pastor Tim. He was like, he ran up to Samuel. I did everything God told me to do. I performed every command that God instructed me to do. Oh, hallelujah. But what we know is that Saul had not performed every command that God had given to him. Yes, he immediately sets out to destroy the Amalekites. That's good, Saul. He killed multiplied thousands of the enemy. That's good. But you left one. Just one. Just one. And he killed thousands of the animals and he only left alive, Brother Rima, those that he thought those would make great sacrifices for the Lord. So because of all of this, Saul had convinced himself that he had in fact put God first. He had convinced his own self that I have performed the commandments of the Lord. 
Samuel, I have done what God told me to do. But when the Lord viewed what Saul had done, he defines it as rebellion. Now, this is important now. He, God defines it as total disobedience. Why? Because the Lord had told him to kill everybody. Not just everybody, but one person. And the Lord had told him to kill all the animals. Not just the unclean animals. So the Lord viewed Saul's actions as nothing less than rebellion and disobedience. Now this is important today. Because this is where we're living. So the question that you and I have to ask ourselves this evening is this. Do I consider, come on Jesus, do I consider myself to have put God first in my life simply because I have done most of what God has asked me to do? Or is it because I have done all that God has asked me to do to this point. You see, this is so important because if we're not careful, we can look at the life of Saul and we can look at our own lives with this mindset that says this, Saul gave it a really good effort. So I think God is going to be pleased with that. I gave it my best shot. So I'm sure God is going to be happy with what I've done. Saul did almost everything that God asked him to do. So I'm sure God's going to be pleased with that. I did almost everything that God asked me to do. I'm sure God will be pleased with that. That is our definition. That's our definition. Why don't you give Saul the credit for what he did do instead of focusing on what he didn't do. It's quiet tonight. Well, why, why are you picking on Saul for? Look at everything that he did. Why don't you give him credit? I'm sure God will just give him credit for everything that he did do. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure God is looking at all that I have already been submitted to Instead of being concerned about the areas that I'm not being submitted to. If you look at my life, there's like a ton of things that I've been submitted to. And there's just a few things that I'm unsubmitted to. But why would you want to look at those things when you can look at all of these things? And all of these things point to the fact that I've put God first. That's the way it looks to us. That's our definition because we look at all of this compared to the little bit of this and we say this outweighs this, therefore I put him first. And God says, that's not my definition. That's not my definition. And if you want to be a worshiper, then you have to go by my definitions. Jesus, help us. I know I didn't do everything he instructed me to do, but I did most of what he instructed me to do. 
So I'm sure God will be pleased with that. And I'm sure when I come to the house of the Lord and I lift my hands, I'm sure God will be pleased with my worship. But the story is showing us that partial obedience is the same as rebellion. I'm preaching to myself more than anybody in the room. Partial obedience in the eyes of God is the same as rebellion against God. And selective obedience is the same as disobedience in the eyes of the Lord. You see, because it's not about what I think. It's about what he thinks. And it's not about the fact that I think I should be in right standing with the Lord simply because I've been obedient to most of what he says. But there's just that one area that I just keep fighting him with. Come on. There's that one area that I just keep resisting him in. There's that one area that I keep rejecting. There's that one area that I keep telling him no. But I don't want to focus on that. I want to look at all the areas I've said yes and then make myself feel good about the fact that I've put him first. When the Lord looks on the totality of who I am and he said, if you're not obedient to me in all areas, then you're disobedient to me in all areas. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's no way, there is no way that anyone in rebellion against God and disobedience to the Lord can also be a true worshiper. It's impossible. Can you think of some way to, to mend those things? I can't. I can't think of any way that I could be in rebellion against God and then come to the house of the Lord and lift up my hands and say praise words and my worship be actual worship unto the Lord when he views me as being rebellion and disobedient. What I say in this and jumping in this cannot be pleasing in his sight at all. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're drawing near, near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so your worship means nothing. Somebody said amen. Now, everybody okay? Besides the Holy Ghost whipping us pretty good tonight? Other than that fact, is everybody okay? Hear me. We all understand that sanctification is a journey. Right? So I don't want anybody to be confused tonight. Sanctification is a journey. We all know we've got a long way to go to be like Christ. And there's a lot of change that needs to be made. Along that journey, God is going to ask things of us. He's going to say, I want you to change this. Now what will you have to understand is this journey's really, really long. And so it's not about us being disobedient to God because of the fact that a mile down this road is still a ton of stuff that I've got to change. Because how many know we would always be in rebellion? I don't think that made sense. Did it? Let me say it again. Thank you for your honesty. I was even questioning a little bit. 
we got a journey, right? Sanctification is a journey. So that this journey is going to, we're never going to be like Christ. It's a long journey. So there's a bunch of stuff ahead of us that we're going to have to change that isn't right. But we don't know what those things are yet. Now I'm making sense. I'm doing better now. We don't know what those things are yet because we haven't got there. It's a journey. So we're not going to be judged to be rebellious because of something we haven't got to yet. We're going to be judged by what we've already been talked to by the Lord. That's what I'm trying to tell us. What has he already spoke to us? This isn't about stuff we don't have any clue about. This is about stuff he has already very specifically talked to us about. That's what I'm talking about. And when we are not obedient to everything that he's already talked to us about, even if we're obedient to most of it, but not all of it, we're rebellious, disobedient. So when God views us, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm, they're mostly obedient, so okay, I'll accept their worship. He's going to say, no, 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 Saul, it was just one guy. Just one. But we killed like 100,000 people. I know, but just one guy you let live. When I told you, nobody lives. You were disobedient. The problem is, is our mindset is, well, I, I, I would understand it if Saul left like a thousand people, but it was just one person. It's just this one thing in my life that I don't want to give up. Come on, Jesus, talk to us right now. It, don't you see everything I do? I give, I, 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 I sacrifice for the kingdom, I give sacrificially, I'm cleaning the church, I'm here when the doors are open, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Don't you see everything in every area that I am obedient? I know there's this one thing that you've talked to me about and talked to me about and talked to me about and talked to me about, but I refuse to submit to it. I know there's one thing, but don't look at that one thing. Just look at everything I'm already doing. It's not like I've got a thousand unsubmitted areas in my life. It's just a handful. It's just one. It's just two. Everything else is good. Everything else is submitted. So I think I should be okay. And God says... That's rebellion. That's disobedience. And our worship is going to be in vain. Because how many know if we truly put him first, then when he speaks to us about changing something, we don't fight against him. Because when the king orders it, we do it if the king is truly on the throne. Oh, hallelujah. But for us to say no to the king is to make the king less than the total authority in our lives. That's why we can keep saying no to that thing over and over and over and over again. 
Because somewhere we have lowered the authority of the king in our eyes. And once we've done that, then our worth of him is not where it should be. So therefore, when we come to the house of the Lord and lift up our hands, what we're doing is not worship. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. I mean, we want God to talk to us. But, you know, really the truth is, is he's probably already talked to us a thousand times. We don't necessarily need him to talk to us again. We just need to do and be obedient to what he's already said a hundred times. Hallelujah. So we've got to be obedient in all. Somebody say in all. Everything God's spoken to us about. Everything, 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 everything. Yes, is there a bunch of stuff we don't know yet? Yes, but that's future. We're not there yet. We're not going to be judged on that. He's never going to look at us as rebellious because of what the things that he has not talked to us about yet. It's just about what he's already spoken to us about and we know it and we've heard it and it's been taught to us and it's been preached to us and we've been praying and the Lord has spoken it to us and we felt convicted of it and we keep telling him no. That's when we become disobedient. So our hand clap isn't really worship if we're willingly not doing something God told us to do. Our praise words do not have any significance or weight or value to them in a heavenly dimension if we are refusing to submit to a certain area of our life. Oh, hallelujah. To be mostly submitted is to be completely unsubmitted. There's no, there's no gray area when it comes to submission. There's no, I'm mostly submitted. Well, I'm submitted to this and this and this. No, no, no. If we're not submitted to all, we're unsubmitted. See, but we don't want to view it that way. Right? And that's what God's talking to us about. It's not our definition. And it's not about what we think. It's about what God says. Oh, hallelujah. You see, this is, what, this is what Jesus was talking to the woman at the well about when he had that conversation with this woman. John chapter 4 and verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That's what the woman says. And then Jesus responds back and says, Jesus saith back unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And then he says, verse 22, You worship not, you worship." Ye know not what. The reason Jesus said this is because this woman was a Samaritan and the Samaritans believed in the same God as the Jews. They believed in the same God. But the Samaritans rejected the writings of the prophets. They accepted some of the written word, but they didn't except all of the word that they had at that point. They believed in the one true God, but they also felt like they could decide for themselves which parts of this book they would consider to be the authority and which parts of this book they would consider to be obedient to 
and submitted to. So Jesus was saying that he saw, he saw their belief in him. He said, I see your belief in me. I see the worship. You worship the same God. But he also saw that their belief in him did not lead them to become submitted in every part of the book. I believe that he's God. I believe that he's Savior. I believe that he's Redeemer. I'm submitted to him and I've repented of my sins and I've been baptized in Jesus' name and I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and I'm even dressing right and separating myself from, but I just don't think I'm going to submit myself to that part of the word. There's, There's that one command in there that I just don't like. Come on, there's some stuff in here I don't like. Don't look at me like that. Love thy neighbors, do good to them that despitefully use you. You tell me you like that. Bunch of, yeah, looking at me like, oh. There's some hard sayings in this book. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily. We don't get to pick and choose which day. Every day. We are to crucify our flesh and do what God tells us to do. And we have to be obedient to all of that. And the moment we get to the place where we start saying, I don't want to be obedient to that. And I don't want to think how the word tells me to think. And I don't want my actions to be governed in that one particular area by what the word says. This is, this is what the Lord is talking to us about. Because that mindset, the Lord says that their worship is being ascribed and assigned to someone other than who true worship is supposed to be assigned to. Hear me, it is impossible to reject any part of the revealed word of God in our lives and still be a true worshiper. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us right now. But I just don't like that person. And I've got ought against them and I don't want to make it right. So I'm just going to ignore them and I'm going to sit on this side And when it's time for worship, I'm going to go up and I'm going to forget all about him and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to worship the Lord. No, you're not. Because what you're doing is not worship. Because you know good and well the word of the Lord tells you if you have ought against somebody to go to them and make it right. And you are willfully disobeying the word of the Lord because our flesh don't want to do it. Am I right? And then, but then we, we define and we make it seem like I can reject the word of the Lord, disregard that person, hold aught and bitterness against that person, but I'm still worshiping Jesus. And it ain't going to affect my worship. I'm not going to let them affect my worship. You already have. You already have. And it's not them affecting your worship. It's you affecting your worship. They can't 
make you be disobedient to the word of the Lord. They can do whatever they want to do, but they can't make you be disobedient to the word of the Lord. So all this stuff about, well, you know, this person and that person, they said this, and I got this feeling about them, but they're not going to affect my worship. Yet, No, they already have. So because we know what to do, we just don't want to do it. Because in our flesh, it's not pleasing to our flesh. Right? To make this stuff right and humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness or be willing to forgive. All that stuff is hard. But when we don't want to do it, we take ourselves out of being a true worshiper. And this is why the Lord says, I'm seeking for true worship. If they were plenteous, he wouldn't have to search for them. If they filled the entire church, he wouldn't have to search for them. Why does he have to search for them? Because there's too many of us that are willfully being disobedient in certain areas of our lives, but still giving ourselves the definition that we're doing right and that our worship is what he wants it to be. Hmm. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. It's important to understand that this truth, whereas it may not be how we view it, and it may not be how current Christianity views it, and it may not be how our flesh wants to view it, it is how God views it. And at the end of the day, nothing else matters. At the end of the day, I'm not going to convince God to change his mind. I'm not going to say, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. This is how I feel. You need, to, you need to change in order to acquiesce to what I feel. No, 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 he, you change. Creation doesn't tell the creator to change. Oh, hallelujah. See, this is, This is why the book would say this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. He says, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things I say to do? I mean, this isn't, this isn't Pastor Anthony's words. These are Jesus' words. This, this phrase, Lord, Lord, is, is, the Greek, is, the, is the Greek word kurios, which means supreme in authority. So God is talking to us, to those, to others who say that he is the supreme authority in their lives. He's first. He's the king of my life. He's the supreme authority in my life. He said, why do you go around saying and thinking that I am the supreme authority in your life when you're not doing what I've asked you to do? If I'm the supreme authority in your life, then you'll be obedient to me when I tell you don't do this and don't do that. But the problem is, is you are doing those things. The problem is, is that you're not obedient to what I'm telling you to do, but you're still going around saying that I'm the supreme authority of your life. He said, why do you do that? 
If I was truly the supreme authority, you would be obedient to what I've asked you to do. So we see, and this is, oh, when I saw this, Brother Rima, my heart just, it is possible, more than possible, for apostolic believers to live a life that believes that he is the supreme authority of their life. When in reality, he's not at all. He's not at all. This isn't talking about sinners. Because there's no sinners that are going to say he's the supreme authority of their life. This is talking about church people. This is talking about church folks and saved people. This is talking about people. This is talking to you and I. And it is possible. And oh, the weight of this. Jesus, talked to this church. The weight of this should so grip us that there are people in the church that the Lord would speak to and say, you think and you say that I am supreme authority in your life, but you're not doing this, and you're not doing this, and you're not doing this. And the reason we say he's supreme authority is because we point at everything we are doing. This is proof positive that he is supreme authority of my life. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. What, what's over here? That, but that's just like two things. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I want him. I don't want to just say he's the supreme authority of my life. I want him to actually be the supreme authority of my life. This is what God's talking to us about. And this is what we have to get open about. And this is what we have to get honest about. And we have to get transparent before the one who knows all anyway. And we have to get real with ourselves. And all the stuff that we've swept over and all the stuff that we just rush over and all the stuff that we pretend is not a big deal and all the stuff that we just, in our definition, doesn't really matter. All of that stuff, it matters to him. It matters to him. And if we truly want him to be the supreme authority in our lives, then we are going to prayerfully search our hearts and our lives in order to find everything in this area. God, I don't want to keep looking at all that stuff. I've, th those things are already established. I want you to be the supreme authority in my life. So take me to that thing that I don't like you to talk to me about. Take, take me to that thing that I fight with you about every time you bring it up. Take me to that thing. Take me to that thing that you've asked me to change a hundred times and I don't want to do it and I give excuses for it and I give reasons for it and I keep telling you all the reasons why I shouldn't have to do it. Take me to that thing. Let me wrestle with that thing until I bring it to submission. Why? 
Because it's not about my will, it's about your will. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the one sitting in authority in my life. You're the one sitting in authority in my life. But as long as I keep doing what I want to do in even a small area of my life, then that puts me on the throne because I dictate. Somebody said amen. Am I speaking truth tonight? So the other day, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming in. So the other day, I'm, I'm praying. And just praying in the morning. And, and I'm praying the verse that, man, we, we've quoted, we've heard, we've preached. Psalms 104, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And I'm praying, God, I want to enter into your gates this morning with thanksgiving into your courts with praise. And as I'm praying this, it's kind of in the morning, and I'm, you know, I'm just praying, you know, enter into your gates. I feel so strong the Lord speak to me, instructs me, focus on my gates. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Don't focus just on what happens behind the gate. Praise and worship and all that stuff. Focus on my gates. Because the book said those are his gates. <laughs> they, Pastor Elijah, those gates were not established by man. <sighs> those gates were established by God. They're his gates. Those gates were not put wherever man wanted to put them. They were put exactly in the spot God wanted them to be. Why? Because they are His gates. And because they are His gates, then we have to become willing to walk through His gates before we can enter into the place of worship. If you're not willing to walk through my gate, you cannot get to a place of worship. It is biblically impossible for me to get into a place of true worship through an avenue that I have determined is correct or that I have determined is acceptable. I have to enter into this place of true worship by His gate, and his gate alone. So the question is, what are his gates? Psalms 118.19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee. Once I get in through that gate, I will praise thee. For thou hast heard me, and you have become my salvation. We need to see that the Lord has required those that would want to enter into a place of genuine worship. 
that they first must be submitted to the process of walking through his gates of righteousness. And that's the only gate. There is no other gate to get to true worship. A true worshiper is one who is living out their life in a manner that has totally committed itself and totally submitted itself to that which God has established is right. Come on, somebody. Not just most things that are right, all things. There's a gate. There's a gate. There's a gate. And I can't get in it and through it to then get to a place of true worship if I'm not willing to submit myself to the righteousness of God. I can't get through the gate if I say I'm submitted to most of what you say is right. I can't get through there. But if I will submit myself to all of his righteousness, I then have opportunity to walk through his gate and to enter into this place of worship. You see, but we don't talk about the gate. We just talk about what happens inside the gate. Come on, let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And what does that mean? That means everybody stand and shout and lift your hands and clap and dance. Right? That's what that means. And the Lord is saying, you're missing the whole thing. Jesus, help us right now. You're missing the whole thing. It's not about what you do when you get inside because the only way you get inside is if you're first submitted to the gate of righteousness. Not just some of what I say is right, but all of that what I say is right. And you and I can't get in an argument about what is right. And you can't say you're right. You have to submit to what I say is right. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what he thinks and about what he says and about what he says is right. And we can fight against it if we want and we can buck against it if we want and we can rebel against it if we want even if it's just one area or two areas or three areas. We can do that if we want because God gave us a free will. But we cannot enter to a place of genuine worship. Jesus. Hallelujah. Who shall ascend? Psalms 24.3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Do we want to experience the hilltop <laughs> blessings of the Lord? The gloriousness and his holiness and his might and all that he is. Do we want to experience what happens in the court? Do we want to experience true worship? Then whatever he says is clean hands. That's what we have to submit to. And whatever he says is a pure heart. That's what we have to submit to. And whatever he says is righteous, that's what we have to submit to. And what he says, live this way and do this and think this way and act this way and talk this way and dress this way and don't go here and whatever, whatever. Whatever he says, we submit. Why do we submit? We submit because he's the king of my life. See this? 
Am I, is God talking to anybody else but me? He is the king of my life. So whatever he says is righteous, that's what I do. Not so I can keep being a preacher. Not so I can keep coming on the platform and singing. Not so I can keep playing an instrument. Not so I can keep being in leadership. Not so I can keep doing ministry. I do the gate of righteousness and I submit myself to it because he's the king of my life. And if the king asks me to do it, I want to. And the Lord says, because your heart is right, you have access now through my gate. You can't pass it unless you're righteous. But if you are righteous, then you get to the place of worship. Stand to your feet, would you? Stand to your feet. Jesus. Jesus. So the question is, question is, do we want the glory of the Lord in this place? I mean, like, in a manner and a dimension that we've never seen it before. You know, the Bible talks about times when, when the presence of the Lord filled the house and, and, and it healed everybody. Brother Rodos, I want to be, you might even talk about that in ministry training. I want to be in those services. I've never been in one. I want to be in one. Other people have been in one. I've heard other people talk about it. I want to be in a service, Brother Tim, when everybody in the room is healed. I want to be in a service when everybody that needs the Holy Ghost receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to be in the, I want to be in the presence of the Lord when it shakes us to our core. I might talk it about, I might, I may talk about it. Yeah, we'll save it till Sunday. But I want to be in those kind of services. Seeing things I've never seen before. Experiencing things I've never seen before. Right? Deep, deep moves of the Holy Ghost. The glory. The glory of the Lord. You want to know how we're going to get there? We're not going to get there because we learn a new song. We're not going to get there because our praise singers practice a little bit harder. We're not going to get there because we all come down front and clap and jump and dance. That's not going to get us there. But what's going to get us there is when more than just a few people in this room submit yourself to the gate of righteousness. Mm. Then, when you walk down here or you stay in your pew and you lift your hands after getting through the gate of righteousness, real worship happens. Genuine worship happens. Which releases the glory of the Lord. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your voice. Are we willing to walk through that gate? There's some stuff we can't carry with us and still fit through that gate. 
There's some stuff we're going to have to lay aside in order to fit through that gate of righteousness. There's some stuff we're carrying on our backs that we're not supposed to be carrying. And as long as we're carrying it, we don't fit through that gate of righteousness. Are we willing to lay it aside? Are we willing to lay it down? Huh. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. But it's just one thing, Pastor, doesn't matter. But it's just two things, doesn't matter. Come on, church, what's God talking to us about now? I know this is a journey. I know sanctification is a journey. It's a process. But what is God talking to us now? And what has God talked to us about last year that we're still saying no to? Jesus, help us right now. Can we gather around the front? Quickly, would you join me in the front? Let's keep talking to the Lord. I just want us to end around the altar tonight. The word of the Lord is speaking to us. The word of the Lord is speaking to us. The word of the Lord is speaking to us. In Jesus' name. Just respond. I, I, I personally want to respond to the word of the Lord tonight, and I want you to respond in the manner in which you feel to respond, whatever God's talking to you about. Jesus. Your definition of right.